All right, if you get your Bibles out, we're um, we're going to we're going to be toward the end of the book of Acts. We've been working our way all the way through. We're in Acts 24. Um, when you get to chapter 21 to 28, it's really hard, I think, to preach uh, because it's a big story. It's just a running story. Uh, really, those seven chapters are all about Paul being on trial. He's arrested, put on trial in Jerusalem. He's transferred to Caesarea, which is about 40 miles to the west on the Mediterranean coast. And then he'll end up in Rome. And most of your New Testament was written while Paul was in those three jails. Paul had opportunities to get out, but he didn't. He saw that God was using him at one point. He sits still. He's traveled all over the world. He sits still and the whole world comes to him. He preaches the gospel and sends them back home. So it's a tremendous arrangement and Paul shows no fear of death at all. But you really have to read those seven chapters all together in context, 21 through 28. And we're just going to hit highlights as we finish uh, the book of Acts, because we'll be finished, we'll be finished here soon and we'll be, be heading into our Christmas series. Um, but at one point while Paul's in prison there in Jerusalem, there's a plot to kill him. The Jews said, we will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. Well, it's been 2,000 years. They're probably really hungry about now. Um, but Paul's nephew hears of the plot. Paul's nephew goes and tells, and the Roman garrison gets around, and they send a garrison of 200 horsemen, of 70 runners, inf infantry, and 70 spearmen. Now, I want you to get this in your head, these big Roman soldiers, all right? We got infantry, we've got horsemen, and we've got spearmen. We've got a group of almost 400 of the Romans' baddest dudes guarding a five-foot, two-inch old man who's a philosopher. And the Jewish people are scared to death, not of Paul. They're scared of his message about a resurrection from the dead. And so the Romans protect Paul and he will get to Caesarea. Here's what Caesarea looks like. I was actually standing here 60 hours ago. I uh, was standing on this exact spot. This is Herod's palace. And it's a massive palace right on the Mediterranean Sea. And this is where Paul is held for two years. Right there. And then about 50 yards away, <clears throat> here's the house. This is the Hippodrome. This is the horse track. All right. This is where everything takes place in chapter 24, 25, 26, and 27. This is the emperor's box. The emperor, the governor, whoever's presiding would sit right here. Paul would have been drug out here onto this dirt track at the bottom of this emperor's box. And this is where Paul's going to make his defense of the gospel and the defense of for his life. And if you've ever seen a Roman movie, you know full well the guy sitting in the box does the thumb thing. I forget how it works. One way, I, I think it's opposite of us. If he goes up, you're dead. And if it's down, you're not, you can live. But the power of life and death is right there. Paul is there in the dirt and he is unafraid. And he is boldly preaching Jesus and him crucified. It is an amazing, amazing statement. Now, I have to tell you, so I got home one in the morning, Friday morning, 
uh, from Jordan. 12-hour flight from Amman to New York. Um, and then pay $25 for a hamburger in New York. Mm. Yeah, you, you, got, you got to love that. So we get back. Now, it came with bread, so, you know, it's okay. Um, we get here at 1 o'clock. Um, we pull in the parking lot. And I see this round black plastic thing laying on the ground. So I picked it up, and about like that, and it had a little hole in the middle. And I got to looking at it and had grooves on both sides of it. This is crazy. So I took it and I threw it. Went like 300 yards. It must have been a record. All right, so we're going to read the text, three verses, and then we're going to ask ourselves three tough questions. So stand with me out of respect for God's word. Several days later, Felix, now this is interesting, Felix the governor of this whole region. Felix knows all about Jesus, and he knows, Paul calls it the way. Jesus said, I am the way. He said, you know all about the way. This is not a surprising message that I'm going to be bringing you. So several days later, Felix brings his wife, Drusilla, and Drusilla's Jewish. So she knows all about Jesus and all that happened in Jerusalem and all about the resurrection. That's, again, they're in the imperial box. He sent for Paul and he listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, actually the word afraid is not there, the word is trembled. Felix began to physically tremble. And Felix says, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. Not much has changed, has it? So he sent for him frequently, and he talked with him. You can be seated. So Paul's on trial for his life, and I'm just going to tell you this as straight as I can. He looks at the governor, who, other than the emperor, this is the number two man. He's in charge of all of the Middle East, the the Israel-Palestine area. And Paul is obviously, you're the arrested, he's in the emperor's box. And Paul looks at him and says, Felix, you've got a problem, son. You're going to hell. And I can tell you how to go to heaven if you'll listen. Now that's a man who's unafraid. Again, his life's on the line. Our life's not on the line. When we ask questions, people may not like it. People might get mad. People might walk away from us. But nobody has the power of life and death over us if we dare to share the gospel. But Paul knows that Felix needs Jesus. And you and I know that our friends and family members need Jesus. And sometimes they're the hardest conversations to have. So I ask you the question that Paul really confronts Felix with, and that is, Is your faith only faith when it's convenient? Now this is going to get personal. It's going to get tough. So hang with me. Is it convenient to come to church when it's raining? When it's snowing? When it's cold? When it's hot? 
I mean, it's Florida. There's always something, right? We're about to get hit with something, locusts, some kind of plague. I mean, something, <laughs> something, something is going to happen. And, and people's problems, your friends' problems, church needs, none of them ever happen on a schedule. Have you noticed that? You know, if you could have problems from 10 to 2 in the afternoon, that would make my life a whole lot easier. But that's normally not what happens. And my question is, is your Christianity, is it convenient? Has it just become convenience? Or are you willing to say, you know what, this is not convenient. It's not convenient for me to give anymore, but I'm going to give. It's not convenient for me to more do more shoeboxes, but I'm going to do more shoeboxes. It's not convenient for me to collect more food, but I'm going to collect more food. Whatever, whatever it is. It's not convenient for me to help my neighbor today, but I'm going to help my neighbor anyway. Isn't that what Christianity is? And Felix says, I'll ask for you another time when it's more convenient. Okay. Well, he's looking for an out. He's scared. He is scared of the confrontation. He was not expecting Paul to walk up to that podium and throw down the gauntlet of heaven and hell in his face. But that's what's on the line, isn't it? That's why you're here. If you've not accepted Jesus, we want you to accept Jesus today so that you can be saved. Repent of your sins. Be baptized. You start following him. If you're online, hit, hit I've decided. Pastor John is there. He will help you. Listen, that is the core message. Notice Paul does not talk about the politics that are going on in Rome. Paul does not talk about his unfair treatment. Paul does not talk about, you know, what happened in Jerusalem. He doesn't go into any of that. He goes directly for the message of the soul. And churches today, sadly, well, 50% of American pastors admitted they don't know how to tell anybody about Jesus. They have no clue how to get, tell you to get to heaven. Terrifying. Terrifying. So they're not talking about that, so they talk about everything else. Paul went right to the heart of the matter. Galatians 6.2 says that you and I are to bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, what happens? We fulfill the law of Christ. I don't even like carrying my own burdens. And now i got to carry yours, and you got to carry mine? Yeah. And usually those are not convenient. Doesn't come easy. Now listen, I don't know if you guys are rock fans. You know I am. Um, Neil Peart, maybe the greatest drummer ever from Rush. Come on, Tom Sawyer. Uh, I hit a button there? All right, all right. I found, I found a Neil Peart fan. All right. He, uh, this is interesting. This is his quote. He said, Eric Clapton said he wanted to burn his guitar when he heard Jimi Hendrix play. He said, I never understood that because when I went and saw a great drummer or heard one, he said, all I wanted to do was go practice. See, Christianity does not come easy. Learning to give, learning to forgive, learning to change, learning to carry one another's burdens, those don't come easy and almost never is it convenient but you, did you, did you sign up for convenience? Do you think it was convenient for Jesus to go to the cross? I don't think so. I don't think what, no matter what time the call would have come, it would not have been convenient. However, in Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That's what motivated him. What was the joy set before him? The cross? 
The father turning his back on him? The pain carrying our sin? No. The joy was you and I finding forgiveness and a bridge back to heaven. All right? Second question. The second question is, are you striving to live a clean life? Now, this is, in my opinion, besides the heaven and hell thing, this is what really torqued Felix. If you don't know a lot about Roman leaders, Roman emperors, Roman governors, well, let's just say they were not known for any kind of morality. In fact, you draw up perversion, they did it. They did it in spades, all right? So when Paul specifically says, this is not random, Paul says, he says, um, where am I at? Verse 25, it says, Paul discoursed on righteousness, being right with God, acting right, behaving in a godly way, self-control. That would have to do with sexuality and judgment to come. That's when Felix starts trembling because Paul went right to the heart of his problems. Now look, this is not complex. I've been teaching... um, a college men's class for the last 12 years. Any night I could bring up the topic of sexuality and it's going to be a hot topic because it doesn't go away. In fact, one of my favorite quotes, they interviewed a guy that was 102 and they said, when does lust go away? And he said, I think about three years after you're dead. <laughs> so it's there, it's real. But in Felix's case, he's given in to all of this. He's not righteous. He's not living right. His sexual mores are way off base. Very similar to our culture today. People living together, people having sex outside of marriage in all kinds of crazy stories and, and homosexuality and transsexuality and all of this stuff. And all of that's on the table here on the horse track. And the question is, Felix, you live in a clean life? Well, Felix knows full well he's not living a clean life. Do you see the story of the, uh, the fishermen? They got nailed for cheating at a fishing competition. They, they stuffed the fish full of lead weights. Yeah. yeah they, win, they win the tournament, and then some guys are like, dang, those fish are not that big to weigh that much. And they cut the fish open, and they'd stuck eight pounds of lead weights inside the fish... To win, the, they're all going to jail. By the way, all right, they take fishing very seriously up north, uh, but uh, they are, they'll be they'll they'll be going to jail for um, it, it was you know it was a tournament. There was a lot of money involved, um, but I'm going to ask you a really hard question. All right, you ready? If you were cut open, what would come out? If I were cut open, what's going to come out? Goodness, kindness, patience, peace, love, gentleness, or pornography, perversion, anger, hatred, unforgiveness. See, it's not till you gut the fish you find out what's inside the fish. But you and I, we know ourselves very well. Maybe your spouse doesn't even know. Your best friend doesn't know. But you know. I know. I know what's inside of me. And Jesus said it this way. Now, this is this will just stick with me. Jesus said to many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, this verse has caused so many people to walk away from faith or not 
embrace Jesus. But you've got to understand this in the full passage, okay? He says, many are invited. Everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. Well, who's chosen? All right, I'm going to help you. If you read Ephesians 1 and Romans 1, and we can go to a lot of places, the people who are chosen are the people who choose to accept Jesus. See, when Jesus died on the cross, the blood that Jesus shed covered every sin of every person who would ever live on the earth from the beginning of time to the end of time. Done. Finished. You just got to punch your ticket. You have to accept Jesus. So, well, I don't know if I'm chosen. Well, yes, you do. You're chosen if you choose. If you choose Jesus. Jesus said, many are invited but few were chosen because they refused to choose me. Now, my son, my son Jacob, uh, my second son, Jacob works for a golf course. And um, Jacob's fun to be around. I don't know. He, he, sometimes he's out of guest services. But anyway, um, part of Jacob's job at the golf course that he works at is to cut the holes on the green every day. Now, if you don't play golf, you have no idea. But they move the holes every day. And... <clears throat> You know, that's, that's the way the course plays differently. You may be up here. You may be over here. And so I asked Jacob, I said, well, how do you decide? He said, well, it depends on how bad of a mood I'm in. <laughs> he said, if I'm in a bad mood, it's going to be one hard course. And I'm going to put that hole in an almost impossible place. And he said, they tell me about it back in the clubhouse. I said, that's, that's pretty cool. He said, but dad, here's my best story. All right. Now you have to know my, my son's from Ethiopia. And uh, just dry wit. And uh, he said, but the other day, he said, I was out early and I decided I was going to play a few holes. And he said, so I hit this magnificent drive and dropped it right on the green. And he said, I hadn't cut the hole yet. So he said, I walked up next to my ball and I cut the hole right next to my ball. Now. That may work for my son, but let me tell you how we do that as Christians. We want to move the goalpost. We want to live our lives and then move the hole. It's not how Jesus does it. Jesus said, here's righteousness. Here's what's right. Here's what's holy. Here's how to become a Christian. Here's how to go to heaven. And you and I have no right to move the hole. Does that make sense to everybody? Third question. Are you willing to help persuade other people? You know, you know, I always go after. I mean, I, I, I try to uh, show you the absurdity of what goes on. Uh, but Charles Darwin, and I quote, and I quote, Charles Darwin was trying so desperately to prove his view to be true that he saw black bear swimming. And bears can swim, right? It's not a big deal. And then Charlie looked at a blue whale. And Charlie said, it's a very simple thing for me to see how a black bear could have evolved into a blue whale. Now, people make fun of me because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. But I want you to think about what the other side has to believe to hold on to their views. Now, you and I know better. We know about the way. We know about the resurrection Christ. We know what Paul knew that day. And because Paul stood up that day, 
There were other Romans who found Jesus, Romans who went to the other parts of the world. And you and I sit here today because the gospel went to England and it finally came to America from England and Holland and other places. And you and I are sitting here because Paul didn't talk about things that didn't matter, but he talked about the gospel. He talked about the truth. Now, are you and I going to let it die on our watch? Are we going to share it? This goes back to convenience. The convenient thing to do is say, you know what? I'm good. I'm saved. I'll just stay in the Bible study until it's time for me to leave. What a waste of time. Or you can go support Ron and Marty. Or you can go be Ron and Marty. Or you can help the Palmetto House. Or you can do shoe boxes. Or you can go talk to your neighbor. There's a million ways to get this done. Acts 1-3 says, After... His suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Why? There, aren't the disciples saved at this point? Sure they are. But he wants them to be so sure that they will never be content to sit on it, but always to go share that message with someone else. Let me finish with this. There's a group of guys, I don't never heard of this group before in my life, but they're called the Cowboy Rescue Unit. Has anybody heard of these guys? Well, they were all over South Florida. They may still be. Uh, they follow disasters. And they're a bunch of cowboys. And if there's a tornado, like happened in Oklahoma, some of my dear friends got wiped out in Oklahoma. Please pray for them. Um, we've already sent some money to help, but just so you'll know. Uh, but wherever these disasters are, hurricanes, floods, um, tornadoes, earthquakes, these cowboys show up. We are the rescue cowboys. And they walk right into the middle of the storms, the water, whatever. But it's their motto that got me. Their motto is, we save anybody, anytime. I read that and I said, Joe, if you can't preach that, you need to just go home. We save anybody, anytime. If you don't know Jesus, you got friends that don't know Jesus. You've got a job to do. If you need to accept him now, you come down front. You hit the button with John. But those are some big questions that we need to ask. Am I just living a convenient life or am I really going to lay it down for Jesus? Father, as we finish here, we give you praise. We thank you for the hope that's ours in Christ. We pray that we would have the character that Paul talks about, that when we're gutted, the right stuff comes out. We pray that we would have the courage that Paul had to look fear in the eye, to look death in the eye, and to boldly stand for you. Lord, I don't know what you're doing in this room or all the people watching online or the people watching in the land. I have no idea whose hearts you're grabbing for what purpose. But I ask that your Holy Spirit would do that. In Jesus' name, amen.